1: Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. This week, we're talking about the 2020 Hill Varsity Yearbook. It's a big deal. It's almost 200 pages of Husker goodness. It's hitting mailboxes and newsstands soon. So in celebration, we're offering a limited number of monthly subscriptions at a discounted rate. It's one of the most requested deals that we have. We offered it to fans on social. And now, because my bosses love everyone, we're offering it to people on the Varsity Club Podcast. So it's a lifetime rate of $2.49 a month, and that includes the Hale Varsity yearbook. You also get access to premium stories online and the Hale Varsity message boards. Don't delay because this offer won't last very long. You can use the promo code 2020YB at checkout, and you go to store.halevarsity.com. I'll put a link to the landing page in the description on our website, but if you're listening on like Spotify or iTunes or whatever, you're not going to get that description or you're not going to get that link. So it's store.hailvarsity.com and the promo code is 2020YB. You get it for $249 a month and that's for the lifetime of your subscription. So to talk about the yearbook, to kind of tease what's inside of it, give you a little taste of what you're going to be getting, I have two fabulous writers on the podcast this week to talk to you about stories that they wrote. Aaron Sorensen is here. Aaron, how are you?
2: I'm good. You you sold me. I'm gonna subscribe.
1: Are you not already subscribed?
2: <laughs> Actually, it's kind of embarrassing how many like subscriptions I've technically like. Not embarrassing. It's a good thing I've I've purchased a lot of subscriptions. In well, my don't lifetime. tell
1: people that because now you're just you just looks like you're padding our numbers.
2: I'm not. It's because it's such a great gift. Which, as a little friendly reminder, to people, Father's Day is coming up. So if you want to get ahead on that stuff, it makes a really, really, really good gift. And that's why I purchased a subscription or two, because it's a good gift. It's really like easy. People get excited about it.
1: True. Greg Smith has been waiting patiently. Greg Smith is, is the other writer. Greg, how are you? Uh,
0: I am very well. Uh, Thank you for having me. Um, And that was a great Father's Day uh, subscription plug there too, because I I think that that might have to be done. But I will have to double check if my dad, I think my dad like subscribed on the sly one day and didn't tell me like he does stuff like that. Um, And so we'll we'll have to see if he already has a subscription, but that's a
1: great idea. Do you guys have a subscription that hits your bank account every month? That every month you look at, and you're like, "Oh, I forgot I still had that, but I don't use it." And but you never cancel it. Do you guys have one of those?
2: I kind of. I have a couple of subscriptions to various like news organizations, and like I use them, so I guess it doesn't fully fall under what you're saying. I like I use them, but every month when I get the email that's like you've been charged for this, I'm like, "Oh yeah." But because I use it and because I care about it, it's like great. Thanks for telling me that I'm getting this. Um, so yeah, I mean, those are ones where it's like, I'm not actively, like, I don't think I think about it. You know what I mean? I'm just like, I open an article and I read it, move on with my life. I'm not thinking about that transaction and the fact that I'm reading the content. So it's the same thing with Hailversity, but yeah, I I actually do subscribe to some ones where I get them and I'm just like, oh yeah, that's how I can read those things (laughs) every month.
0: Man, it's funny. I feel like I do, but I can't think of what they are, which is funny considering we have been like deep into like budget planning and like really attacking debt and all of that for like the last few <laughs> months. Um, and so if I, we did have them a couple of months ago and we canceled them promptly um, and I've now blocked them out of my mind. So yeah, I did, but I can't remember what they are right now.
1: My wife used to have this. I think it's called Fabletics. It was, like, a clothing thing or, like, a workout clothing. Yes, yeah, athleisure, and like,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, and, like, work. every every month, like, she would get charged for it because she would forget to, like, skip the month. And so she would never just cancel it, but she would always skip each month. So she'd have to remember to go in and skip each month. And, like, probably eight times out of ten, she was forgetting to do that. And so she was going in, and she was, like, having this credit. And she's like, well, now I got to get something. And I was like, well, no, you paid for something. So... But that was a lot more expensive than two forty nine a month. Two forty nine a month is a, a cup of coffee at Starbucks. So yeah, uh, that's a great one of those deal. things where it, it can it can hit your account and you you maybe forgot about it, but you're like, eh, I'll read. It's not that big a deal. It's a great deal. Have you guys started watching HBO Max?
2: I haven't.
1: I have not either. No? We uh my family did the early sign up thing. They like pre ordered access to this streaming service, which is a hilarious concept, but uh it got us at a discounted rate for like the first two years or something like that. And we got to watch Fresh Prince of Bel Air on May twenty seventh. And so we are already into the um third season, I think. It's fantastic. We put our game of Thrones watch through on hold so that we could watch Fresh Prince. Never been, it's never been on a streaming service before.
0: I guess, but I've, I've been fascinated at the reactions um, by, of the Game of Thrones uh, binge that you guys have been on. So I selfishly just wanted you to continue doing that.
1: Well, so we got to the reins of Castamere the other day. And like as we're leading up to the moment, I can feel my heart and my chest just start pounding. And, like, I was getting super anxious. I knew what was coming, but I was getting really anxious about it because my wife, who was watching with me, had never seen any of this before. For some reason, she watched the very last episode of the series with her sister live because her sister wanted somebody to watch. And she was like, yep, I'm never going to watch it, so I'll watch it with you. So she, like, knows who is alive at the very end, (laughs) which is terrible. And she also knows, like, she, she knows what happens at the very end which makes kind of watching everything back through now, she's just like piecing all these things together. But we watched The Reigns of Castamere, and I, and I was waiting for her to get to this moment, because, Greg, you and I have talked about this. That was like the single biggest plot twist in 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 any show that I've ever watched. And she had no reaction. She was like, eh, I saw it coming. I mean, it, it, like, anytime something good happens, it it's followed with something terrible. Any, like thing that brings hope to characters is suddenly <laughs> extinguished so like I, I i could see it coming so she had little reactions like this is why i don't like watching television shows with you
0: what a wild way to watch thrones to see the very end and then go back through to try to stitch it together like oh, <laughs> that, that, would have to, that would be really difficult for me to do
1: wow the character that she's most invested in is danny she said that she doesn't like any of the other characters
0: I mean, I'm not that far off from her. There were a handful that I liked, though. But Danny was my favorite, too.
1: It's interesting. It, Aaron, are you, a, did you were you a Game of Thrones person when it was on? Did you watch it?
2: No, I've never. Well, I've never watched it, but I know everything that's happened because I made uh, a friend of mine who watched the show religiously basically spoil it for me every week because I don't care about spoilers. I'm like, if I ever decide to watch the show, it's cool. Um, So I don't know any of the characters' names. I just know them based on the descriptions of which I would ask, like, what happened to Dragon Lady this week? So um, my, my experience with Game of Thrones is just basically being like, having someone tell me what happened in each episode for the entire duration of the series and acquiring my own nicknames for the individuals.
1: Nice. You don't care about spoilers, huh?
2: No, spoilers don't bother me. Like if I see something and it's it, somebody spoils something for me. It doesn't like I don't get up in arms about it because it's not a huge deal, um, at least from my perspective, but I know other people do not feel the same. So I'm not actively spoiling things for other people. I'm just saying okay. if I see it. I don't get upset.
0: Man, that's wild. Because I have a very like real and recent example of having to try to avoid spoilers. Like Derek is obsessed with Survivor. I and my wife Kim, we love Survivor as well, but we don't watch the season as it happens. We always wait until afterwards. So I had to make sure to avoid Derek's tweets the day of the finale to make sure that I didn't see who won or just like avoid tweets about Survivor in general. um, Just because we would binge, and we did end up binging it um, over and like just over a week. Weekend. We watched the whole series like two weekends ago.
1: Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm very different than you on that one. Oh, I did not say anything for the Survivor finale. I made sure you have one tweet.
0: <laughs> there was just one Survivor on tweet. Twitter.
1: Oh, when I tweeted about like Tony being the goat or whatever. Yeah. That was, and I didn't even really see
0: that. Like I you had I think the word survivor may have been in the tweet. and so I just like barely scanned it and then like kept scrolling. Like I have a whole system um, for keeping spoilers out of my life.
1: I make sure or I, I, apparently, I don't do a good job, but I try to not like put spoilers for things on social media because my brother has twice now he had the ending of Harry Potter spoiled for him. He didn't read the book, so he was seeing everything for the first time as the movies were coming out. Uh, he had the ending spoiled for him on Instagram before the last movie was, uh, before he was able to go see the last movie. And he also had the ending of Avengers Endgame spoiled for him uh, because of Instagram. So I make a point to like try to be conscious of that when I'm on social media. Um, that being said, Aaron, I would like you to, for our listeners, spoil, spoil? your yearbook story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's it about?
2: Um, what is it about? Well, So for anyone who follows us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, I guess, um, I'm like sitting here. I'm like, I guess it was on all of our social platforms. Um, We did share a piece that had essentially hit the cutting room floor from the interviews that I had uh, on Wednesday. So if you follow us, you'd know that my story is on DiCaprio Boodle and Not to spoil it too much, but I had known that I'd wanted to do a profile of some kind on DiCaprio since last fall, and honestly, it all started with a backpack. He had a really, really cool backpack that I had commented on many, many times over the course of a year or two, and so finally just wanted to know more about that backpack, but that led beyond it's not a story about a backpack it's a story about DiCaprio Boodle but it was inspired kind of through this like very organic moment of wanting to know a little bit more about who he is and why he carried this particular backpack which had a very like significant style to it so uh, it just kind of one thing led to another and I had to pivot this spring quite a bit because I had these plans of you know, not like similar to last year when I followed Adrian Martinez for a day, I wasn't planning on doing that with DiCaprio, but I did plan on, you know, spending time around him and with the people that know him best and kind of getting to know him through the lens of people around him. And that changed because of the COVID-19 pandemic and had to, like I said, pivot completely. So uh, it was one of those things where it, I didn't know how it was going to turn out, but I'm really excited for people to get to know DiCaprio through this story because it takes a journey back to a story that people are very familiar with with him, which goes back to that satellite camp when Nebraska ultimately offered him after it offered him after it. But the difference with this is it goes deeper into his experience with that and a lot of opinions. There's even some people who are quoted in the story that might surprise some people um, to see their names resurfacing back into like the Nebraska sphere because they care so much about DiCaprio. So you have stories that people know, told a little bit more, di- like just told differently, told, told a little more in depth than what we had at the time, because time, time opens up so many more doors. It's so different to be able to look back on something than in the moment when you're living it. But then uh, stories more, that are more recent stories of that shaped him. Um, yeah. I'm pretty excited for people to read it because I think I think most people have an idea of the kind of man young man that DiCaprio Boodle is but hopefully this gives them a little more insight into how he became who he is and some of the things that matter to him most and that goes way beyond football and the the biggest takeaway I have from this and that everyone said is for as good of a football player as he is he's an even better person and that's really what I'm excited for people to kind of get to know about him through this story.
1: Would you say that it's a story that takes people on a journey and for that journey, they would need a backpack.
2: <laughs> <do> yeah. You <laughs> get your favorite backpack. Um, yeah. It's, it's one of those things where like, I just, like I said, when I originally started talking to him, which I think, you know, most, most stories that we tell sort of, this is what happens is it starts with just the curiosity of, I want to know more about this thing. And you never know what shape or form that's going to take. It could be something where you say, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to do this now. I have all the information I need. Or maybe you say, I'm going to wait a little bit longer because I think I need more time. I think I need to see things happen and play out and whatever. And that was the thing with DiCaprio is I, I didn't know what shape or form his story was going to take. And at the time, I thought, well, maybe I'll try to write it for. I remember thinking, like, maybe for a December issue. Like, I was trying to figure out where to like write something on him about, and uh, it ultimately became a story that I thought, well, maybe this makes sense for the yearbook. And I'm glad that I waited uh, because this pandemic certainly challenged the way this story could be told. But I, like I said, I'm excited about how it turned out because. It challenged me as a writer, but it also was cool to see him. It was also cool to see him through a different lens, through a time that was very unique. And, you know, you operate under the assumption that things will be sort of normal this fall, but you don't know. And so, I don't know, it was just it was it was a unique opportunity to tell a story about a really interesting young man but like having to challenge myself as a writer and as a storyteller in a way that I don't think I've ever had to before so like I said I'm excited about people getting their hands on this for a number of reasons because my story as excited as I am about mine I'm equally as excited about all of them in the yearbook because I think that's sort of the approach we all take it's just trying to challenge ourselves and be better than we were the year before or the issue before and that's pretty cool
1: so I want to say for people that are listening, I haven't read Aaron's story and I haven't read Greg's story. Um, I, I, like I'm not, I think it would be a little funny um, if I was listening to this and and like m- my thinking was that the host had read these stories already. I'm not just like lobbing softball questions for you to kind of talk glowingly about your piece. My goal right now is to try to get you to reveal some stuff about your piece. <laughs> you, uh, so like I said, I haven't read your story and. And to that point, like I wasn't here when DiCaprio Boodle was getting recruited. So this satellite camp story, like what what he he's a – this is his fifth <laughs> year on campus. So mm-hmm. this this satellite camp, when would that be, would have been? Twenty fifteen. Twenty fifteen. Yeah.
2: So, that, so that's so that Okay, somewhere...
1: so what what happened there?
2: Well, and like so the story that everyone has kind of been told so anyone who follows recruiting and was really big into recruiting especially early in the uh, mike riley era heard this story that dicaprio was relatively under recruited he held offers from you know um believe it or not central florida some uh sean beckton would have been at central florida obviously when he was getting recruited there in fact uh some Trey Neal remembers when he was getting recruited to Central Florida but he had he had offers to um, you know a number of good programs but he just was looking for that power five offer and he he just the problem was is people were really hung up on his size he's 5'10 I believe Um, and that was just for whatever reason one of the reasons like that was just preventing people from really maybe giving him the look that he felt he deserved, but he was fast. So after that satellite camp, he went to in Miami. So he's from the Miami-Dade County area. And he went, it was, you know, seven miles from home. He went to this um, satellite camp, which I'll let the story when people read in the yearbook, there there was a program that was not Nebraska that got him to that satellite camp. And he really did it because he felt bad because they kept calling him and he felt like, well, I better go. Like I better show up. And so he, he did. And that ultimately changed the course of his recruitment. And then in some ways, his life, uh, Nebraska had Mark banker was there. Um, there, Nebraska had a few coaches there and they saw him in action. They saw him run a 40 and run the 40 yard dash very, very fast. And they were like, "This is a kid that follows directions and does everything with a smile on his face, and then he's really, really good." So he ultimately received that offer after that satellite camp, um, which is the, the which is a great story at face value. The piece that our yearbook story dives into is now DiCaprio's viewpoint on it, his father's viewpoint on it, his brother, and his brother has a really interesting connection into all of this, which is part of what I don't want to give away because I really, I'm excited for people to see the connection there. Um, But yeah, he, it it, and it was told Brian Stewart, who was uh, one of Nebraska's coaches at the time, he was one of the people who immediately saw just sort of how significant he was as a player and how quick he was. And so you, you get a few different viewpoints on that moment that at the time, one you wouldn't have thought to ask a 17 year old individual. You you just are asking, Oh, this is great. This resulted in an offer. How do you feel? So you get the story, but now you're getting all of the little like nuances that happened within that story. And that includes, uh, some disagreements between coaches some challenge, like there was some challenging, um, between people at that camp. I mean, like I said, it, it's, it's fun to hear about it in hindsight because everyone who is there has a little bit, like, they all tell the same story, but they have a little bit of a different viewpoint on exactly what was happening. And that's the best part because you now get to see it through, like, four different people's eyes. Uh,
1: like I said, because I haven't read, I, I don't know anecdotes in your piece to ask you about it and get, is that Scout or is that Jax?
2: It's Scout. Hold on. It's Scout.
1: Well, Scout just wants to be on the podcast. That's fine.
2: She, well, she wants to be on literally everything I've done. Like, she sits behind me and peers over my shoulders and barks. She just wants to make sure that people know she exists.
0: Just keeping you safe. We are aware of you, Scout.
2: <laughs> Sorry about
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> um, She's really excited I, about I, so- <laughs> As She should be. Um, and Greg, if you have questions, feel free to, to jump in as well about Aaron's piece or about, um, scouts, uh, time in quarantine. Um, Aaron, DiCaprio has 21 passes defended in the last two years, uh, which is a lot. And he has zero interceptions, which is, (laughs) I wonder if it's, I wonder if it's just like unlucky, like if that's a fluke or like what, what that is like. Does, does this come up in your writing, in your reporting, in your conversation with DiCaprio? Like, how does he feel about this? Like, he—because, you know, there's—and Chris Jones is maybe at fault for this. There's people out there that are like, yeah, you just can't catch the football. He's got bad hands. But he's got 21 passes defended. Teams didn't throw the ball at him last year because of that. And then, you know, Lamar Jackson had the season he had. But DiCaprio hasn't been able to get an interception in two years of, of being a full-time starter. Does this come up in your story?
2: So it doesn't come up exactly because, so that's part of what hit the cutting room for. And I'll explain for people who are like, why why doesn't this make it in there? Um, in telling the story about DiCaprio, I really wanted to focus in on things that I felt like people did not know about him or hadn't really been too um, too specifically discussed. Um, so that's why that story that I shared on Wednesday of this last week, which is on com now for anyone who's interested in reading it, dives into a little bit of what Chris Jones thinks about him and his play, which he, for a long time has said, he means to catch the ball. Pro- you know, PBUs are great, but like interceptions are better. The thing is, is like, what does. Well, that's what
1: Travis the- Fisher says too. Travis Fisher does not like pass breakups. He says pass breakups are missed opportunities.
2: Correct. So <laughs> Such a what Travis really-
1: Fisher thing. It is. It's awesome.
2: What comes up in the story is what, what he has done and what, what is out there for him and his his view on like what's left for him and he feels there's a lot out there still for him and he wants to be in the NFL it, it's something that he feels that he has always sort of had he he, he was under recruited he he's had to always work really 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 hard for everything that he's been given and so you know DiCaprio is hyper aware of the fact that he needs interceptions he needs he needs to be he needs to be even better his senior season than he's been every season to date. And that's what comes up in this is you just get a sense of there's there's a lot out there still for him. And there's a lot of expectation that is falling on his shoulders that he's aware of. And the one thing though, that like is really important to remember about him is he also though values significantly his role as a leader. And he it's very important for him to be able to lead others so if somebody else is doing well and maybe he's taking a back seat to that moment he's okay with that so that's also something that i think is really interesting about him and t- takes takes a role in this story is how he wants to be remembered and perceived by others beyond just what he does on the field and that's something that really stands out to me about him is he he he's focused on the big picture which is here are my goals and what I want to accomplish but I also want to make sure I leave things a little bit better than I found them and it's easy to say that with anybody but you really get the sense for that through the voices that were willing to speak about him and trust me when you ask people for their opinions on DiCaprio Boodle nobody hesitates to answer which is pretty cool
1: when you set out to write an enterprise story there's always that one you 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 know I can't speak for your guys process for getting ready but like I create like a master list of sources that I want to try to talk to and, and I'm not going to talk to every single one of them I'm not going to in a lot of instances and I don't even talk to half of them but these are just people that I try to reach out to and get voices into the story there's always that one person that I look at and I'm like I'm not going to get you there's no way I'm going to get to talk to you Aaron did you have who, who was that person for the story and did you get to talk to them
2: So I really wanted – I really wanted to talk to Brian Stewart, who was uh, Nebraska's defensive backs coach, I believe, at the time. I don't think he was a specific um, – I don't believe he was a specific position coach, but I'm going to look it up anyway just to be sure that I have my information correct. Uh, Yeah, he was just the defensive backs coach. I want to make sure I wasn't, like, misquoting what his uh, – coaching career has looked like but anyway he's now with Baylor um and he's a defensive backs coach there but he was one person who um was really really vital in the recruitment of DiCaprio Boodle but I will say there is always a has like there's there's a bit of like you you wonder when you reach out to people especially in the instance that they were um at a school and no longer at a if they're going to be willing to talk about something, you just don't really know if they're going to be okay with that. And so he was one where it was kind of a, it was kind of, I'm going to just like throw the option out there, see if he'd be willing to talk a little bit about him. And uh, he responded within minutes, which was pretty, pretty wild to think like, that's the impact that DiCaprio had had on him that when asked, Hey, would you be willing to speak about him? There wasn't a hesitation. It was minutes. Yep. Here's what I here's what I think. And that was pretty cool to me because it like I said, it's always hard to know with with previous staffs if they're going to be OK. Do you want to talk about somebody that you recruited and coach, but you're no longer at that program? That wasn't the case for him. He was totally on board. But I think that speaks to DiCaprio, because like I said, every every single person I reached out to wanted to talk about him. And that actually was uh, a blessing and a curse because the curse part of it is you have so much stuff that didn't get used, but the blessing is you have so much to pull from. So yeah, that was, that was the person for me. And I totally agree with you. There's always a list of people where it's like, yeah, I would have loved to have talked to this person or this person or this person. But for me, it was Brian Stewart. And it was pretty neat that I did get a chance to talk to him. And I think his perspective on DiCaprio is pretty special too.
1: One last question for you, Aaron, and then we'll pivot to Greg's piece. Um, wh- wh- you you mentioned you, you got a lot of stuff, and obviously, some of it has to get cut and mm-hmm. sometimes there's there's things that you love or anecdotes that you love and they get cut what is what's the best boodle anecdote you have from your reporting that didn't make it into the piece or or you couldn't find a way to fit it in or it just didn't it didn't flow?
2: oh gosh the best anecdote one of my favorite anecdotes is in there so i can't say that one there there's just yes you can no i can't (laughs) because when brandon vogel read it he even said he's like i'm really surprised by this and that's why it's like it's so good um okay so i'll say this the one that really surprised me that didn't make it in there i mean not in the way that, like, not in the full quote, but when I talked to Chris Jones, who he's a former defensive back for Nebraska, he currently plays for the Arizona Cardinals. Um, when I talked to him about just, I, I wanted him to tell me if my perception of DiCaprio was, if I was off, if I was, I, I just wanted to know, like, where I kind of, like, when I look at him, if I describe him, if I'm, off, if I'm completely off the base, if I'm close to the way he sees him, And he said that the thing that people don't really realize about DiCaprio is he cares a lot about what people think to the point that he can let those things really, really dwell. Like he dwells on things a lot. Like they can really bother him. He thinks about them. It's hard for him sometimes to let things go. And that was a really, that was a big challenge for him when he got to started getting to know Chris was Chris telling him, you got to let these things go. You can't care what people think. You can't get caught up in this stuff. And that is something that I never really felt like I, the sense I got from him, even before doing the story, I would have never thought like DiCaprio Budo cares what people think. I mean, everyone cares, but like to know that like those things matter to him, that if somebody goes out and um, is saying, you're not good, you're not this, he's not only going to like care, but he's going to take that personally. That's, that's pretty powerful for an individual because the piece that does make it in the story, and like I said, this isn't my my favorite one, but it does. This piece does make it in. Basically, Chris said the, the power that DiCaprio has, though, is he's somebody who doesn't allow himself to get angry. and not He doesn't turn those things into a negative. He uses it to fuel himself and to work harder. And he doesn't allow himself to get... It, it's really easy for people who feel slighted or feel like people are not being that kind to them to feel like I've got this like nasty chip on my shoulder and I'm now going to be mean to you and I'm going to go into this like dark space and he's like he doesn't do that that's a pretty like important piece he might dwell on it he might take it he might reflect on it and it might matter to him but he's not going to like become a mean person because of it and I mean, that's a ton of credit to him because I don't think a lot of people could say the same thing if people are out there talking poorly about us. I think our natural reaction would be to take it personally and get mad, whereas he takes it personally and does something about it. So I liked that. There's a
1: transition. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but there's a transition here from Aaron to Greg uh, where we kind of compared DiCaprio Boodle and perceived slights and internalizing those slights and Michael Jordan. (laughs) <laughs> and I think that's the perfect way to pivot over to Greg is <laughs> by talking about his favorite person. Yeah,
2: so Greg uh, Michael uh, Jordan for the – I'm just kidding. Oh, boy. He spoke yeah. to Michael Jordan for the yearbook.
0: <laughs> I'd turn that down, and then you guys would be mad at me.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, Greg, first, do you have any questions about the Boodle story?
0: Oh, my God. If I, if I asked all of my questions about the Boodle story right now, um, we'd be here for another hour. Um, so I will not. Um, but I will say this, because I've had an interesting relationship with Boodle and his family as well, because I have a, a really good friend of mine who's actually from Miami um, and knows him and his family. And so I've always kind of had a connection to them. Um, and I've, Aaron mentioning his brother made me laugh to myself because his brother, as you guys will probably find out in the story, is a trip. Um, so he's a good dude. Um, and so that whole story about the satellite camp and all of that um is just fascinating on how kind of boodle came to be at a thing at nebraska and then i'm I'm just glad that people are going to get a better window and insight into him as a guy and kind of what makes him him uh because i think it'll be really eye-opening for people
1: so at one end of the spectrum we have aaron talking to a guy who's in a lot of ways at the tail end of his college journey journey and he's trying to um Maybe make up for some things that he feels like he's missed out on. He probably wants to go to a bowl game. He probably wants to get an interception. Greg, you talked to a guy at the beginning, the relative beginning of his college journey. You talked to Wandale Robinson. Um, aside from the obvious, I mean, he he was a sensation as a, as a true freshman. Why did you want to do a story on Wandale for the yearbook?
0: Yeah, I think that the my initial goal is two big things. My initial goal was is that I wanted people to get a real – understanding and real level of insight into how the Wandale that was the freshman sensation that you mentioned came to be, right? How did how did that guy get prepared for that moment to be that good early on um, and to be kind of a face of the program at this point early in his career? Um, because that stuff doesn't just happen accidentally or overnight, right? There's a lot that goes into that. So diving into that story um, is really what drove me along with the fact that I knew because he was such a a big recruit and I had the relationship with them pri- prior to him arriving on campus because of what my role is, I knew the backstory of his father Dale having been to prison and then what that can do to a family as well and how that shapes you um, and the story being kind of personal to me. because. The, uh, their goal to kind of break that cycle that plagues different families within the black community um, was always something that all wrapped into one I really thought was personal to me and that I wanted to be the one to tell that story um, about how this all happened.
1: So talk about the Dale-Juan Dale relationship. I, I guess, I, like I said, I, I haven't read either of your guys' stories, so I don't know how heavy that is in your piece. I don't know if it's one of those things where it's like a section, like. But but Dale is obviously such a huge figure in Wandale's life. He's a big um, influencer on Wandale. Like, how heavy is he throughout the the story?
0: Um, He's featured pretty heavily in the story as well. Um, And because I I think that it's hard... To, like to tell Wandale's story without kind of giving a how he got here and how he got here is it, 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 like shaped and influenced by the time that he missed with his dad um, from his dad having a couple of stents in prison. Um, and then also the people that then kind of stepped in to help fill that void, the kind of coordinated effort that had to happen within that um, for that to be successful and to make sense to a young kid. But then also what it was like for. Wandale to have to grow up in that way, but then on the flip side of that, what it was like for Dale to have to parent um, through that as well, and then come back into Wandale's life um, as he's becoming kind of a budding star um, around the country, and kind of the name that people know
1: now. So you have a kid who wants to kind of make up for lost time, so to speak, but I mean, I know Dale is here for game days, and, and he's he's at the stadium for game days but they still live in Kentucky why why does Wandale come to Nebraska and leave Kentucky instead of I mean he he had committed to Kentucky do you get into kind of that I don't know it was a couple weeks between when he committed to Kentucky and when he decommitted like how much of that is in there and why does he why does he while wanting to make up for lost time with his dad decide to go you know however many miles away to go to school in Nebraska
0: uh, interestingly enough, that is one of the things that kind of the whole dynamic of his recruitment and how that all happened actually hit the cutting room floor for my piece um, so that there will be more on that that's not in this story. Um, but the essential version of what like why and how Wandale ends up at Nebraska versus sticking with Kentucky um, is that he did want to make a name for himself um, outside of Kentucky. Um, and there are and, and several people that I spoke to about him brought this notion up that it was not the worst idea for him to get out of the situation that they that he grew up in and to experience something different on his own. Um, I think that that was a driving force there. And then plus kind of once you really kind of get into the nitty gritty of what happened um, and why he made that choice. And a lot of it also has to do with Nebraska's offense. It's got frost and, and the pitch that they made to him um, specifically to and what kind of focal point he could be within the offense.
1: Wendell is obviously a well-known person. He's in the public eye a ton. Um, he spoke a ton to the media as a freshman. Um, uh, it it felt like a lot. Um, I don't know if he felt like it was a lot, but, but it, he's been out there. People know who he is from a, a football perspective. Did you learn anything new about him as a person that you didn't know?
0: Man, yeah, um, and and I think that he would say if he heard you say that he and everyone else that that is quoted in the story or that I talked to for the story would say that this is just normal, um, that this has been now going on for long enough. Where he's been, he's always been someone that report like people look to for his comments on things. Like even before he was a recruit, and then once he became a, a big time recruit, um, he was always someone that had cameras in his face, always someone doing interviews at a national level, at a local level. Um, so he would say that he is just always been prepared for this. And this is just normal to him. I actually think he did say that at one point, uh, the very first time we talked to him after that first game. Um, it, and so that that definitely uh, comes up. Um, but I, I would say that he is someone that everyone described as very unique and mature. Um, And so the thing that really kind of surprised me, though, is that the amount of time that people explained how many times that he spent, how much time he spent with younger kids, like his kind of passion for mentoring people and leading people, which I believe comes from his dad, who also um, does that now and trying to help people that have been in a similar situation to him. Um, In fact, some of the kids that he kind of of kept in contact with back in Kentucky, have even come out to Husker games um, to try and support him here as well. So that's all fascinating to me about just learning that about like how um, much care and how much he cares about kind of mentoring people and keeping in touch with those folks.
1: Well, it kind of makes sense if you think about kind of the aspects of his personality. He's somebody that is is well-spoken and comfortable being the voice of a group I mean he did that for the wide receiver room last year and and as he has told um in press conferences and said to you like it's been happening for a while so I and for him to be a true sophomore and especially the situation that he was in in the spring where he was the (laughs) the oldest wide receiver the oldest scholarship (laughs) wide receiver in the room and kind of the voice for those wide receivers I mean I guess it kind of makes sense then that he would be somebody that um is kind of taken to I guess, being a, a mentor figure or a role model kind of figure for younger people. That's interesting, though, that he is so young um, and and he kind of has those dynamics. How I know that he was close with Rondell Moore and close with David Bell. They're all from that Kentucky region and trained together before college. Like, did you get out of those guys? Did you get into either of those guys? Did he talk about kind of that relationship or, or a relationship with Uh, Kentucky prospects or Kentucky recruits in general?
0: No, we didn't talk specifically about that. The only time that that came up um, was in talking about just his training um, and, and he trained with those guys and kind of what it was like for him to see um, guys like Rondale Moore and there was a, it was another guy whose name I'm forgetting that came right before them as well that was getting recruited um, pretty heavily and how that kind of fueled him to kind of take his game to the next level and to also take his level of preparation um, for getting noticed by colleges to the next level because that jump really happened for him between his sophomore and junior seasons which on one hand is normal but on the other hand for as big of a recruit as he ended up being it actually feels like he kind of got on the radar a little bit late and a lot of that had to do with his size um, which as you guys listening to this know he's not the biggest guy in terms of height um, but he's definitely pound for pound very strong Um, and so all of that definitely comes up within the story Um, but no I didn't specifically talk to him or 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 to um, those guys or about uh those guys to him
1: was the other guy KJ Hamler
0: that name sounds familiar it may have been
1: him I feel like there was this run and there's been this progression of like small all purpose guys just taking over Big Ten like you had KJ Hamler at Penn State and and Rondo Moore and now David Bell and now Wando Robinson I'm curious like maybe the next guy is whoever Purdue signed in this 2020 class because they've had Back to back true (laughs) freshman receivers go for a thousand yards, which is ridiculous. But um, Greg, with with Wandale and and I asked Aaron this question, the the guy that you or the person that you really wanted that you didn't think you were going to get for the piece, who was that and did you get them?
0: Yeah, um, like you guys, I do the exact same thing, rest it down and make the master list of kind of who all I want to talk to uh, for a story. And I think on this one, I actually got everyone that I wanted, which is pretty rare, as you guys know. My person um, for this was actually Vicky, um, Wondale's mom, um, and, and mostly because... We just don't hear from her a lot, right? And and I think that this is, it's natural, it's normal. You're not gonna hear from everyone in the family as much as you are gonna hear from kind of the athlete, Wandale, or from the dad, Dale, who was kind of his own bright star in his own right, right? And they both kind of, uh, I've kind of described, like thought about it as they both suck up a lot of oxygen, right? And so she's there. And to me, it was always <laughs> going, right, but it was always going
1: to be- What an excellent be... way to phrase it.
0: <laughs> right, but like it was, it was always gonna be Interesting to me to figure out her perspective on all of this, right? Um, from the recruitment um, of Wandale and what it was like to go through that, but then also kind of the other more somber part of it and what it was like to raise a young son without his father. Um, and we get into kind of, I got into all of that with her. Um, and she is unique in her own right because she was described by both Dale and Wandale as, as more of the disciplinarian actually of the two, which was really interesting to me. Um, Um, She's also battling MS, um, and so she's kind of tough as nails. And it's just all, it's all, that whole piece of it um, was very interesting to me. And so I I was very glad that I got to talk to her. Um, The only, the the other piece of it, though, is that um, as talkative as Dale is, um, Vicky is the opposite, like she is very quiet, and Wandale is actually closer um, in that way uh, to Vicky, even though we hear from him a lot, um, it takes a little bit to kind of get him. to warm up and really open up um and she even mentioned that she that she thinks that he takes more after her in that case but then obviously picks up certain other things um from dale so her she vicky was definitely the person that i wanted to talk to and i'm glad i did
1: it's the perfect yin and yang in a relationship you know i don't you guys know me when i'm not on a podcast i don't talk very much uh but my wife talks all the time so it it, you have to kind of have that balance aaron does kyle is kyle soft-spoken
2: if I would say he's soft-spoken he definitely like this morning for instance he we were talking about something and he had to stop me and when I get fired up about something I can kind of just go and he had to stop me and say like I'm trying to tell you what I think on this like you need to stop for a second and he has no problem just doing that because I mean we're we're engaged for a reason (laughs) um but yeah I mean I don't think he's soft-spoken uh I definitely think he allows me to talk as much as I want but he's not afraid to also just tell me to shut up if he has something to say or something uh he wants to make clear and I'm steamrolling it so yeah it's it's healthy I I think I said that more like more aggressively than it needed to he's not like being (laughs) mean he's just like hey it's my turn (laughs)
1: I'm I'm glad you didn't take offense to me kind of sort of implying that you talk a lot so that's good
2: (laughs) I, think I know, but see here's the thing. I know that I talk a lot in like this environment. Like I do. And I probably why I got into this job. But it's super funny because I when I'm like doing my own thing, I typically like would prefer not to be like talking to people. So I think it's like I psych myself up for these things and then I get going and then I get myself all like on tangents. But yeah.
0: It- it's really interesting that you describe yourself that way, because I would actually I think of myself in the same way in that normally when I'm just kind of sitting around, I don't I, I can be to myself and not really want to talk all that much. And then once we get going, then, you know, it's hard to stop. Like, I, I feel I think of myself a lot in the same way.
2: Yeah, I don't like actively like, like go looking for conversations <laughs> like. <laughs> That's probably the best way to say it. It's like, I'm at home. I'm not gonna like pick up my phone and call somebody just because I want to catch up. Like I would rather text or just like I'm just not a like a phone or a, I'm just not a conversation person in that way. But when I'm doing a podcast or interviews or whatever, it's like that's my time to shine.
1: <laughs> Greg, very important question for you. Did yep. you get a workout routine from Dale, or did you <laughs> get? Wandale's workout routine from Dale.
0: <laughs> so I I have workout routines from Dale. Um, and that's and honestly, that came up outside of the story. Um, just because we have talked about that in general and just about working out, and we talk about that um just kind of in general. Um, but but and I have some stuff from Wandale and that like in that he's been trying to work out obviously throughout kind of all of the pandemic stuff and then being like outside of Nebraska, which also presented its own whole separate set of issues because, or not issues, but just a unique circumstance because um, Dale and his wife Taylor just had a baby, um, and so Wandale has was there for like his new sister kind of being in the newborn phase and all of that. It was actually the first birth of a child of his that Dale was actually able to be there for, and they got that in right before um, the hospital rules kind of changed around that, so all of that actually became um, something that was unique to the story that i did not anticipate ahead of time um but the short answer that yes i do have
1: some workout stuff uh from them okay necessary follow-up then have you attempted one of those workouts and have you died from one of those workouts i I imagine that that the workout (laughs) would be difficult
0: yeah, I, I, it, is, it looks difficult. I have not um, tried any of them. I have had him, I've had Dale kind of critique my workouts that I had already been doing, and it's given me tips about what I need to be doing. Um, but I have not done a full Dale Robinson workout yet, uh, because I
1: am not ready for all that. That would be, I bet people would watch that. We made that a video piece. I bet people would watch that. You are One thing bad. that I have. Sorry, Greg, go ahead.
0: No, I was going to say you are giving Aaron hashtag content ideas that I do not want out there in the public space right now.
1: Well, one thing that I've always wanted to do is I've always wanted to do like either go through like a spring shell practice with the football team with a GoPro strapped to the head. Or I've wanted to go through a workout with the strength coach. And this goes back to when I was at um, when I was in college. Like that. Those are two things that I've always wanted to do. And it's, there's just like so many hoops you have to jump through to be able to do that. The athletic director has to approve of it. The head coach has to approve of it. You have to sign waivers. Like you have to get approval from a, a number of places. And it's just like, no one has been willing to do that. That's something that, and I, you know, Zach Duvall doesn't strike me as the person that's, that's going to change that, that run of no's. Um, what to no fault of his own. I mean, they're, they're allowed to say <laughs> no, um, I don't want you know someone like me going in and getting killed by people that are twice my size. Um, and that's perfectly fine. But that is always something that I've wanted to do. So maybe a workout from Wandale Robinson's um, personal archive is is the happy medium there. there
0: you Aaron, go. you should make
1: Greg do it.
2: <laughs> yeah, we will. We'll film it, and it'll be our it'll be an added piece of content for the yearbook story.
1: Nice oh. we, can, uh, we can get Matt Davison and Greg Sharp To give commentary over the top of it Perfect
0: I, I greatly appreciate that, you guys. Um, but I, I will say, though, Derek, to your point about the workout thing, I actually have done something like the watered-down version of what you were just describing uh, with the previous Strengths Coach staff. They're gone now, I can say this. Um, I have, like, the pictures of it, like, on my own that have never really been released. Um, I've gone in there to the Husker Strengths, like, um, Strength Conditioning Center, like, the weight room. But sorry, I lost my words there. Um, and actually done... A small piece of the circuit that they used to do—you um, don't want to really do that. Like maybe you do, but <laughs> <laughs> like uh, there were trash cans involved. Like I'll just say that. Like it is—it's hard. And that was that version of it. I can't imagine doing the Zach Duval version of it, which is why we probably won't get the actual okay um, to do it with Zach Duval. And yes, you do have to sign a waiver to do that. I had to sign a waiver just to do that one yeah. small piece of it. Yeah, um, El,
1: El, El Cerquito.
0: Yeah, I'm not doing that.
2: I just want to point out, so this is like a podcast-podcast crossover, but in one of uh, Jay Moore's More To It podcasts, he talked to um, – they he in one of his podcasts, he and his guests were talking about um, uh, when Bill Callahan came to Nebraska – he was trying to cut the roster down because there was just so many walk-ons. Like, it, like there's a whole debate over the walk-on program. It doesn't matter. But mm. the whole thing was is they were trying to make the workouts as hard as humanly possible to get guys to just basically stop showing up. It's like, okay, let's just go as hard as we can. Uh, so they, they pushed them really hard over a week. They show up on Monday, and too many guys still showed up, and they were like, what?
1: <laughs> Uh-oh.
2: And I, like, love that because it's like you imagine, like, If you told somebody like Duvall, all right, make these so hard that like people just don't show up on Monday and like more than you expected to show up, how much harder do those workouts get?
1: They don't get harder. You know you have a team that's bought in. (laughs) Everybody should do that. Oh, everybody should operate that way. Yes. (laughs) Look at you. I I think everyone should operate that way because if your goal is to get people to quit, then the people that don't quit, you know they're not going to when the season starts.
0: Oh, you sound like well, a coach. I I like that.
1: I just saw the 2017 season problem. <laughs> well, not all the problems. We still have Bob Diaco to contend with. But yeah, I, everybody should operate that way. I mean, I had, I had teachers in college that operated that way. I mean, you get to a certain point in your major kind of in, in the major specific courses where Uh, You know, there are a handful of them. It was like the first semester of your junior year, you take a class where the teachers and like the teacher tells you on day one, their goal is to fail you. They're trying to thin the herd of people that actually want to be in that major. So like with pre-law, it was like people, you're trying to get out people who just wanted law for the paycheck and didn't actually care about what they were doing. And so the whole goal of the class was to fail people. Like if that's the goal in, let's say winter conditioning. Hello, Scout. If that's the goal in winter, I think Scout agrees with me. Um, then you're you're getting people that are there for the long haul and aren't going to bow out when the going gets tough. I like that. I like that. Bring Dolan Callahan back. <laughs> I've lost everybody yeah, that was just... I, you just- Here's
2: the yeah. thing, not to, completely, not to completely pivot, but when we- this kind of is a natural, and we won't go too much longer because I know people have lives but you do want to hear us talk about the yearbook forever um but when we think back on like previous coaching staffs um your yearbook story does in a way have some focus on a previous coaching staff not in the lens of that not on in the lens of a staff specifically but do you want to tell anyone briefly what your story is about or do you want to save that
1: yeah i can talk about it um the 2020 season is the is going to be Nebraska's 10th in the Big Ten, and so um, I just wanted to talk to people about the transition from the Big 12 to the Big Ten, and I, I set out with two questions, two central questions that I wanted to answer in the piece, and that was one, would Nebraska make the same move again today that it made 10 years ago, knowing um, how those 10 years were going to play out you know obviously they they haven't won a conference title in 10 years and they've had more losing seasons in this this conference than they had in like the previous 50 years in the big 12 and big eight um and and the second question was uh was nebraska ready to make the move when it did Uh, um i've heard a couple other people who were close to pelini have talked about how pelini was um you know I've, i've heard the phrase um concerned tossed around and from I got pushback from people that I talked to on on that phrasing. Maybe reticent about, um, you know, switching conferences and and doing it so quickly. You know, they they announced in 2010, and then in 2011 they were in a new conference, and it wasn't one of those things where um, that you know they had a long runway to kind of build up their momentum. Um, but but you know, like I said, I had a my master list of people and um, because of the nature of the story, pretty much every single person on, on the list was somebody that is either no longer here or has been fired by the program. And so I wasn't, I wasn't really sure who I was going to get to talk to or who I was, um, going to be able to have good conversations with. But I talked to a a pretty large percentage of, um, that coaching staff. I talked to Tim Beck. I talked to John Papuchis. I talked to Rick Kaczynski and, and Rick Fisher and or Rich Fisher, excuse me. And I talked to Harvey Perlman and, um, you know, the stories that I got from the assistant coaches, it was, it was real. And, um, you know, I, I, in a lot of instances, I thought they were brutally honest with me. And But, you know, it also came across – one of the things that I found interesting was um, they were able to talk about kind of that transition. And then we go all the way out to 2014 when they get fired. But none of them were um, – none of them were still I, – I shouldn't say still. None of them were kind of hurt. By um, the way it ended, none of them sounded um, bitter over the way that it ended. Everyone said, you know, we have great memories from Nebraska and, um, you know, we cherish our time there and, um, you know, we're still proud of what we did there. But the thing that I found the most interesting was just um, from talking to the coaches, like how difficult it was to go from one conference that was stylistically so drastically different from the big 10. And that's really kind of what the piece turned itself into was, you know, Bo Pelini talked to sports illustrated, um, however many weeks ago, Ross Dellinger about, and he, and he had that line that people kind of latched onto of, um, he didn't think what they accomplished was appreciated. And, and I had pretty much every single assistant coach that I talked to said some variation of the same thing. Like one thing that was pointed out to me that, um, I, I don't think I had ever seen before, um, was that Nebraska beat every team in the big 10 in its first two years in the league, which is incredible. Uh, if you really think about it, um, they lost to, what was it? Wisconsin, Northwestern and Michigan their first year, I think. And then that next year they beat all three of those teams. So they beat every other team in the league, um, their first two years, which if you really sit down and think about how, you know, the first year, You go into a a new conference and and the way um, Tim Beck explained it to me was that every single game for them, every single week, it was like preparing for a bowl game. Because the only team that was on their schedule, and this was something Papucha said, the only team that was on their schedule in that 2011 season that was on the 2010 schedule that they had their own tape to look at was Washington in the non-conference. They had 11 brand new games that they they didn't know tendencies. They didn't know where they were flying into. They didn't know, um, you know what the defensive coordinator liked to do on third down. They didn't know what the, the personnel pack- packages looked like. They didn't know what side of the field they were supposed to warm up on. And, and that was the case for 11 of their 12 games in every single game in conference play. Um, and one of the questions that I asked everybody, I was like, you know, this is kind of a stupid question because you guys won – they won nine games their first year, 10 games the second year, and then nine games in years three and four in the conference. And I, I was like, because of the success that you guys had, it's kind of a dumb question, but do you think you were ready for the conference? And universally, everyone said no. Um, it was one of those things where, you know, in 2010, that, their last season in the Big 10, or the Big 12, excuse me, like they were trying to win a Big 12 championship because in the 2009 season they were a second away from doing it they were a second away from beating Texas in the Big 12 championship and um i didn't get into you know their thoughts on that second but um you know in the 2010 season like they're focused on getting over the hump and trying to win a Big 12 title trying to win a conference title and trying to defend the north division crown that they're not they're not they're not afforded the ability to look ahead or to start planning for the 2011 schedule and so They have one season, they have a full season, um, and and just a normal allotment of time to get ready for basically 11 bowl games. Um, and the overwhelming sense or feeling that I got from all those guys was that what they were able to accomplish, um, wasn't appreciated. And from the people that I, you know, I talked to Bill Moose and like I said, Harvey Pearlman and, and those guys who, who. Um, you know Harvey who made the move football was a piece of it but it wasn't the full reason Nebraska left the big 12 for the big Ten um and then from Bill Moose's side of things now he's here and Nebraska is a, a fully vested partner in the conference so it gets the full payout and it has all the privileges of being a big 10 partner um all the all the the advantages that are outside of just football you know like both of those guys were, 100% without a shadow of a doubt, yeah, we would make the same move again because it was the right move. And and what was interesting was Bill, who was at um, Washington at the time, or actually he was – yeah, he was at Washington at the time. He, I, I asked him, I was like – Washington State, excuse me. I asked him, I was like, you're looking at it from afar, and you're in the Pac-12, and you guys are talking about bringing in Colorado. When you see Nebraska leaving the Big 12, a conference that it had so much success in – for a, a new conference, what did you think of that move as an outsider? Did you think it was a the right move? And he was like, oh absolutely. And I, I found that interesting.
0: Yeah, one of the things and and so it's interesting now to think about Derek's story, <clears throat> excuse me, because I have read Derek's story. And what I was always kind of intrigued by with your story and you mentioned this off top, Derek, is that, uh, that uh, talking to people that had could could perceive or have the perception that they were wronged by Nebraska and be bitter about it, um, or just not want to talk about it or go there, um, and really have those all be the exclusive people basically that you end up talking to um, could produce a really interesting and different dynamic for a story. Um, and so that piece of it to me. Um, was always interesting. And I just don't know, you mentioned, and I think that this continues to come up about the appreciation of what happened um, wins and losses wise um, through that time. And that's always going to continue to be rehashed. Um, but the more you kind of dig into this and, and hear from people involved with it, I think the resounding answer to me has to be, no, they weren't appreciated enough. When you just think about how difficult it was, when you just break it down to, hey, we have to get for ready for 11 bowl games. We don't even know where the locker rooms are, where to warm up and all of that, which then, of course, makes me then think about what's happening now and how they're still kind of struggling with different things as they still are trying to construct a roster as well that has to compete in the Big Ten week in and week out. Like, I don't think that Nebraska is out of the transitions that were started um, that are kind of laid out within this piece.
1: Well, and there's there's a line I have um, in there that really kind of gets at that. Um, you know, if you look at what they were building up until 2014, and then you look at what they're trying to build now, there are a lot of parallels, uh, situational parallels with where they're at now and where they were then. Um, And yeah, I mean, the, 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 I didn't want to like, I don't want to tell other people, this is how you should feel about this staff. It's now six years gone. I didn't want to tell people that Um, you know, the feelings that you had then should be something else now. Um, But I am kind of excited that the response so far from people who've read it has been, wow, maybe we should. And just kind of having um, a conversation about like, you know, we get into the recruiting side of things. We get into um, their decision to prioritize certain states on the map in terms of recruiting. We get into um you know the whether they felt respected right away in the conference and what they had to do to kind of earn that respect. And we get into, you know, how teams viewed them and and how um you know they viewed other teams and we get into kind of um you know I, I just thought it was um I, I I was excited about the way that people who had read it were kind of responding to it in the sense of like well, maybe we should revisit this conversation or um, it kind of branches off into like, you could have like 10 different conversations that um, originate with a line or a graph or a section in this piece. And then you're talking about something that's generally related, you know, 20 minutes later and you're having like a fierce conversation or, or a dialogue with somebody. And that was kind of what I was, that was what I was hoping for. So it was kind of cool that that was the, um, the end result.
2: I was going to say one last question for you, Derek, because you're somebody who I think what's interesting about one kind of kind of what we were like I said about time, time allows stories to be told a little bit differently um, because hindsight is powerful. So I think that's great in this instance. And I have read your story. But the one thing that I know I've kind of briefly talked with you about is you didn't grow up like obviously you grew up knowing Nebraska, but like you grew up away from this scenario, you didn't actively live it. Like some of us that were on staff were either covering Nebraska at the time or very, very like present in that. What was it like for you to sort of not only learn about this period of time, this history for Nebraska, but in a way you were sort of experiencing it? for the first time in the way that you did I guess what what was that experience like sort of having the advantage in my opinion of like fresh eyes on this whole situation
1: well it was an interesting reporting experience and I don't think advantage is the best way to describe it because um at the same time you know I had I had two sides that that they were on opposite sides at the end so like Harvey Perlman and Nebraska's coaching staff, like in 2014, they were on opposite sides. So there is a little bit of he said, she said in, in some of it. And, you know, I, I kind of have to, um, it's not one of those things where I go in knowing where the truth is at. I, I go in and I'm told one thing and then, um, you know, I get told something completely different by another person. I'm like, okay, I, I have to now go ask five other people like, hey, where's the truth at in this? And, and another thing was like, because you guys all know this story and and I was so I was so young when it happened i mean i was was I fourteen or fifteen when it happened. Um, so I wasn't like I wasn't paying attention to Nebraska football. Um it's one of those things where like I have to be like, okay, was this and and I asked you and Brandon this questionnaire, and I was like, did you guys know this? Is this news? Is this something that you've read fifteen stories on already? And that happened a handful of times. But what was really interesting was, yeah, like I had that fresh set of eyes, but I also had and this was something that I, um, that Coach Fisher and I had a conversation about. Rich Fisher and I had a conversation about. I said, when I was growing up, my dad obviously was a Nebraska fan. He's from Nebraska. His parents live in Nebraska. He grew up um, kind of around Husker football. And and my first game, like as I've I've told the story before, was two thousand one Oklahoma Nebraska, and that was because my dad wanted to go to that game. Um, so I grew up, and we're in Oklahoma, but my dad is still watching Nebraska football every Saturday, and. <laughs> Like, I told Rich, I was like, like, I distinctly remember my dad in those later Bo Pelini years where he was like, Bo's only a nine-win coach, only a nine-win coach. And he he laughed, like, Fisher laughs when I say that. Um, And I was like, I I know that part of it. I remember that part of it because I was around for that part of it. But I didn't really understand. Like, all I knew was that my dad was, like, upset on Saturdays because Nebraska was – Winning games early in the season and, and kind of building up the resume only for it to kind of fall apart or crumble or or fade away a little bit late in the season. And and he would always say, Bo is only a nine-one coach, only a nine-one coach. He won nine games three times in his four years in the Big Ten. And, and I was like, Is that is that unfair? I asked Fisher, I was like, Is that unfair to what you guys did? I mean, nine games. You know, there's obviously the the side of it where, like, Nebraska, if you told fans now that they could win nine games, they would take it in a heartbeat. Um, but just in terms of, like, how difficult it was, especially in those early years when, you know, you didn't have – you just didn't have the personnel. You know, Papuchas talked a ton about how they were nickel and dime in the Big 12, and they had to change that in the Big 10. Um, and, and we get into that in the piece, but, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, recruiting classes take two or three years before they really take. And before you really start to, to see the fruits of your labor in in that regard. And so, um, you know, we talked about, we talked about that and, and I got Fisher's honest, (laughs) honest reaction to me being like, yeah, my dad was like, he was only a nine win coach. Um, and we talked about how that, like, that was the that was the prevailing thought. That was what a lot of people thought that, and he was like, that was what people in the administration thought. That was what people, um, that were supposed to be having our support or having our backs thought. Um, and so from that perspective, you know, like I, I didn't know a lot of this stuff. And so I was going into it with an open mind, but I think like having that background that I did with my dad, I think it kind of enhanced, um, I don't know. I think it, I I think it allowed me to come at it from a a different perspective.
2: Yeah. And so I've had the, I've had the privilege. I've read every story that is in the yearbook and, um, or I guess most of them, except for like one, but I've read both of yours. And the thing I will say about yours, Derek, that is really cool is having lived through that time and, you know, part of it, I was, I was A recent graduate of the university had started covering Nebraska, so like I think I had a very different perspective. The one thing that I will say that I'm excited for people to read it is, I believe people are going to walk away from it wanting to have a conversation about it, whether they agree with things that are said or not, or whether they think the people you talk to are right or wrong or whatever. None of that matters. The fact is, is people are going to want to have a conversation about it, and I think that's pretty powerful when um, you think about a story. That's why I like our yearbooks. I like all of our stories, but I think what separates a yearbook story is I believe people are going to be talking about this one for a very long time. Now, in the the sense of Greg's, what's really um, powerful about that one is in a time where, um, you know, it would be you know his his relationships with his family are so important and I think people only really understood Wandale for you know the decision to commit to Kentucky then and then to decommit de- commit to Nebraska and then um, have a really really strong freshman year this dives into more of the things that made him who he is and the things that he doesn't want to be and the things that, that are, will ultimately matter to him and where he wants to go in his life. And so those are the things that I, I'm really excited for people to read. I'm I'm excited for people to get to know Wandale differently than maybe they knew him before. And with yours, Derek, I'm excited for them to have the conversations because I cannot wait because people are going to have conversations about this on Twitter. And some of them will probably be pretty fired up about it, but that's a good thing. It's, it's going to create some fun um, dialogue around it and... Needless to say, I'll be excited to kind of watch it happen.
1: <laughs> well, one person who read my story, who he, he's he's a very rational thinker. He's not somebody who um, is kind of a knee-jerk reactor. Um, he, he doesn't let emotions kind of fuel his reactions. Like his immediate reaction to this was like, "Wow, maybe my thought process at the time was wrong," and he kind of walked about. that back. Yeah, he kind of walked that back a, a little bit. But for, for that to be the initial response, I thought that was cool. Um, well, you guys got work to do. Um, we've we've talked for a long time. Aaron, thank you for um, kind of staying in, in in character and talking a lot. Greg, thank you for talking <laughs> a lot um, about your guys' stories. Uh, I I am also excited for people to read them. I think they're, without having read them, I'm very excited for them. I'm sure that they are great. Um I guess do you guys, either of you, have any parting thoughts on the yearbook or on anything else that's going on right now?
2: Um, I would just remind people go to store.hillvarsity.com, click on monthly subscription, and use the code 2020 YB at checkout immediately uh, to get your subscription for the for the lifetime that you have it, because you'll never want to cancel. Um, but each month it would be two forty Is- nine, so good
1: deal is capitalization important
2: no it just is 2020 okay. yb capitalize the yb don't live your life okay just get yourself that deal
1: yes do it uh subscribe to the magazine um subscribe to the podcast where you listen to podcasts leave us a rating leave us a review uh subscribe to jay Moore's podcast i mentioned it a, a little bit ago uh the more to it podcast that's everywhere you listen to podcasts as well it's really good you should be listening to it every week it's every Monday. Um, and keep reading HaleVarCity.com and we will be back next week with another podcast thanks guys